Open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We'll continue our journey through Romans this morning, and we'll begin reading at verse 9. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9 is where we're going to begin reading through verse 13. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Pastor John will slip you a Bible so you can read God's Word with us this morning. So what we do here at Calvary Chapel, we go through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, as we study God's Word together. Romans chapter 12, and you recall if you've been with us in our study of Romans that when Paul opened up this chapter, chapter 12, he's pleading with the Christians, hey, because of the mercies of God, because you are saved and, and uh, Jesus went to the cross for you and, and you are sanctified, set apart for him. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we have the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father. There's no separation from his love. Because of that, what you are to do is to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord, which means that we're to be surrendered to him, to follow after him, desire to live a life that is pleasing to him. And he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, if we're just giving ourselves to the world, it will begin to shape and mold us. But we have opportunity to be renewed in the mind, knowing that we're in the world, but not of the world, to know this, that, that we belong to a kingdom that will be established forever, and that also, that as we take in the word of God, it begins to renew our minds in the things of Christ. We know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then as Paul continued, he would say that in verse 3, make sure that you don't think too highly of yourself. Be sober-minded to right thinking. In other words, it is by his grace that he has saved us, and it is by his grace that, that we can live for the Lord, and he desires by by his grace to give us spiritual gifts. And that's what we've been looking at in verses 6 through 8, as we know that we are members of the body of Christ. There's one body. We're different members. God gives us spiritual gifts given according to his grace. And we looked at those spiritual gifts listed in verses 6 through 8. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't uh, hear the teaching or weren't here, that you would go over that teaching that we did last Sunday, because I think it will be very much encouraged knowing that the Lord desires to gift every single one of us as Christians. And these gifts that are listed here in this chapter are the serving gifts or the motivational gifts that we have before us. <coughs> Excuse me. But now we're going to see that Paul in verse 9 begins to really chapter 15, but particularly in chapter 12, we're going to see this rapid fire of commandments that are given to us in our behavior, in our uh, conduct as Christians. These are not suggestions, but as I said, these are commandments given to us and how we can be a living sacrifice, how we can live unto the Lord. There are some 20 commandments that are given to us here in these verses, in verses 9 through 13 that we're going to cover today. There's a focus on our actions as Christians. And then next time in verses 14 through 21, our reaction to others in our lives. So let's begin to look at that. But first, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you bless this time in the study of your word, that we would be attentive. And, and Lord, uh, that we would uh, pray through these things and receive these things that you have for us, that you desire for us to be living sacrifices unto you, uh, living a life that is pleasing to you so that we may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So after talking about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul now is prompted by the Spirit to instruct us that our love is to be without hypocrisy. As we read in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And we are to have a sincere love. When, when Paul was writing about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he concluded by saying, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And he leads into chapter 13, which I mentioned last week, that it's important for us to understand this, that as he talks about in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, that, that we are to love. And, and he talks about God's love, that love suffers long, is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, not puffed up, does not seek its own. But we also read that we can have the gift of prophecy, that we can understand understand all mysteries. We can have all knowledge. We can tell mountains to be gone. You can offer as your body as a sacrifice uh, to the Lord. But if you do not have love, we are told in God's word it means nothing. So I see once again that after talking about the spiritual gifts, the apostle is prompted to write that we are to to love, and it is to be without hypocrisy. Uh, love will include humility. We're not being prideful, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Um, and one of the things that I do learn from Scripture, that it is possible to use spiritual gifts in an unspiritual way. You see, I, any of us, we can be a great teacher. We can serve in ministering in practical ways, tirelessly, continually. We can give generously. There's a gift of giving, as we saw last week. Um, but if we don't do it with love, it means nothing. And the love that is spoken here is agape love, God's love, as described in 1 Corinthians 13. And here in Romans 12, it is to be sincere. You see, agape's love is something that you can't fake. You can't fake that. And the reason is it's going to be tested. And if it is not sincere, it won't suffer long. It won't be kind. You will grump and complain and murmur. And as you do ministry, as you're living for the Lord. So let love be without hypocrisy. And then he goes on and he says, abhor what is evil. I think that one of the weaknesses in the church today is developing a tolerance for evil. It can be very easy. It can be very tempting in the day in which we're living in to kind of start to establish a peaceful coexistence with that which is evil. It happened to the children of Israel. After the days of Joshua, the book of Joshua you, you read, it's a book of victory. They, they had faith. They went into the promised land after 40 years of being out there in the wilderness. And as they come into the promised land, they take the promised land. Uh, there's great victory. And at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua stands up and he says to the children of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. And that is something that is said to us in God's word. Choose this day whom you will serve. And I hope and I pray that every single one of us, that we would say, I choose to serve the Lord, to walk with the Lord. And that parents, that we would say as Joshua, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And then as you move into the next book, the book of Judges, the book of Judges is a, a book of defeat. And that generation after, you know, Joshua, it tells us in chapter two that they forgot the Lord and they forgot the works of the Lord, that generation, and they did what was right in their own eyes. That's what we see in our old culture today. People that are doing what is right in their own eyes and we are being told that we are to accept that. 
we're to be tolerant of that, that, that we're to even celebrate it. We see the consequences of what happens to people's lives that do not abhor evil. The mentality of culture today is tolerance, and we're to have a tolerance for that which is wrong, that which is evil. But God's word says that we are to abhor evil, which means that we are to look and see evil as repulsive, as disgusting, to make sure that we don't allow the enemy to get a foothold into our lives, to fool us, to desensitize us is what can happen over time to Christians and society. It's like, well, everybody's doing it. That's just the way it is. And you know, we don't want to say anything. We don't want to be judgmental. We are to speak the truth in love and to stand for righteousness. To stand for righteousness. Folks, we need to be careful not to be deceived by the enemy, by culture, by accepting that which the Bible very clearly says it's wrong and it is sin, but to be able to stand for that which is right. I, you know, when um, we first moved into our house that we we're presently in, the kids were really small, and, and they were out playing by the, the front big tree that we have out front. And so we have a septic tank, and so I was trying to find the lid to the septic tank because, you know, those things have to be cleaned out, don't they, once in a while. So I found it, pulled the lid off, and whew. And the kids were over there watching this, and they go, Daddy, Daddy, what is that? And I said, stay away. Just stay away. You don't want to come over here. It stinks over here. Well, they were tripping over themselves trying to get over to see, you know, what that was all about, you know, because they're just kids. They're just curious. And I think that today there are too many Christians that are getting sucked into the septic tank of what is evil and what is wrong and running to it and allowing the enemy to come into their lives and deceive them and blind them. Don't be conformed to this world. Be careful, because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants us to be desensitized. He wants us to compromise in every way the enemy does. And the Lord is saying, no, I want you to stand for what is right. And I want you to abhor evil and cling to that which is good. Cling to that which is good and right and decent. And to be that light to a world out there that's in darkness. And I pray that we would say, Lord, help us to do that. To, to cling to that as good, abhor what is evil, to, to be able to be one that says that this is sin and this is what God calls us sin. And verse 10 tells us, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor given preference to one another. So we're told clearly in a word that a cold standoffish attitude has no place among Christians. We're to give preference to one another. We're to be kind to, to one another. We are to do it with brotherly love. Now, verse 9, we have the word agape love, which is God's love. Here in verse 10, we read the word phileo in the Greek, which means brotherly love. In other words, we are to treat other Christians like family. And some of you, you when you became a Christian, that you have relationships with family members or friends or others that are strained, severed perhaps. They don't want anything to do with you. Uh, certainly it changes with people at work, uh, whatever the case may be for you. A lot of us, we have experienced that. And this needs to be a place that you know that this is family. We pay a price for following after the Lord and being dedicated to the Lord. And the world looks down on us. And people that are linked to us in our lives will come against us. 
And we need a place where we know that we are part of a family because we are a family. To where we can be shown affection and, and kindness, and that's the church. He says being one that is giving preference to one another uh, means treating others more important than yourself. A reference is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I would read it and, and consider it and pray through it as we're told to look out not only for our own interests but for the interests of others. And let us esteem others better than ourselves. So we are to be kind to one another. And I hope that we are. To be patient with one another. Affectionate, that means that you really stop and, and ask people, how are you doing? Glad that you're here. Given preference to one another. Then verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The scripture tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that we're to do all things as unto the Lord with sincerity of heart, fearing God. We're not to separate our spiritual life from our business, our workplace, our, our family life, our hobbies. I think it's a tragic when a Christian separates their business or work ethic from their spiritual life, their home life. Oh, I come to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week, that's mine. And your home, there are things in your home that cause compromise. You're allowing things under your roof that you know that the Lord would not be pleased. So we are not to do that. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit is what we're to be. That means walking in the spirit. Remember that in Romans chapter 8, that it tells us to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. We are to be spiritually minded. We are to be fervent in spirit and serving the Lord and doing it with diligence. Don't be lagging in diligence. Don't be, in other words, lazy as a Christian. We are not to serve the Lord half-hearted, but we're to do it with eagerness. So if we are called to do something, we do it as unto the Lord. Colossians says everything that we do, we do as unto the Lord. If you're called to, to usher, then you get here and you usher and you do it with, with excitement. You do it with, with diligence, knowing that it's important, the children's ministry, uh, the nursery, the coffee shop, uh, to do it, to be on time, not to have the attitude, well, it isn't important if I show up or not. And if, if I don't show up, they'll just get somebody else to do it. No, we don't want to have that kind of mindset or whatever it might be for us. Wherever you're ministering, wherever God has placed you, I'll get there when I get there, you know. Not that all important. Don't want to take this Jesus thing too serious, you know, in serving him. And what has blessed me so much, week after week, month after month, year after year, is to see how many of you, you serve in the body of Christ, not just here at Calvary Chapel, but other places. And you do it with commitment. You do it with eagerness. You want to give your best to the Lord and, and for the Lord. And it's been a blessing for me and for this fellowship. Isn't it a blessing that, that we have people in place and, and, and there are those who get here early, the worship team, to be ready to lead us in the worship. They get here early. And those who get the coffee shop set up. 
And aren't you blessed that you're here when you come in, that there are those who are there checking in your kids and receiving your kids in the classrooms and in the nursery, that there are those who are greeting you at the door. There's other things that are taking place. Aren't you glad that when you come in that the church isn't dirty, that we thought, well, we don't need to clean the church. We don't need to clean the bathrooms. You know, they haven't been clean for a few weeks, but that's okay. People just need to deal with it. No, we have people that come and they come in the evenings and they come and they say, hey, we want to make sure that this is the cleanest church, that it's clean and we do everything decently and in order, that the lawn is mowed, all these different things. I am so blessed because people do it freely and willingly and with diligence and they do it because they're doing it us unto the Lord. I want these children to be the best taught children in Greeley. I want these little ones to be cared for. And thank you, Lord, for allowing me to minister to them. And I've always said that I hope that we never have the mindset of, of oh, kids, oh, that it's just babysitting or it's just something to do. No, we have opportunity to minister to them in this park outreach. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. To see it as a privilege, to deal, see it, and do it with excitement, not, well, whatever. I'll do it whenever. I'll show up whenever. You don't want lukewarmness to come into our spiritual life and serving him. Apathy, sluggishness. You show me a Christian that is lukewarm, and I will show you a Christian that will lack diligence and passion in serving God. I'm going to say that again. You show me a Christian that is lukewarm, and I'll show you a Christian that will lack diligence and passion in serving God. We saw the lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3 and some of the harshest things that Jesus, well, the harshest words that he had to say to all of the seven churches was to that church that felt like we have need of nothing. You know, we got everything. We're cool. We're good. And the Lord said, you don't even know that you're blind, naked, poor, wretched. You're lukewarm. I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, he said, I'm about ready to vomit you out of my mouth. Those are very sobering words. We don't want to become sluggish. The Bible in the New Testament warns us over and over again to be watching, to be sober, to be vigilant, to be diligent in living for him and serving him. Paul started out the chapter by saying, hey, therefore, by the mercies of God, the wonderful blessings of God uh, and our forgiveness and sanctification, be a living sacrifice. And we should be at awe in a sense of amazement, should be in our hearts daily that we belong to the Lord and we get to serve the true and the living God, the creator of the universe. I don't want to just be lukewarm in my Christian life and in my service to him. I cannot believe that this morning that I get to stand behind this pulpit and teach the Word of God. I cannot believe that I'm saved and forgiven, that God wants to use me, that He loves me, He wants to fellowship with me. That amazes me. And I'm going to be in heaven with Him forever. 
So I want to be a living sacrifice for him. I want to serve him. I want to keep, you know, diligent in serving him. I want to be fervent in spirit, keep walking in the spirit. I think that it's no accident that Paul says, don't be conformed to this world because it will cause an apathy and lukewarmness in your life. That passion for the Lord gets replaced by the things of the world. Keep your eyes on him. I was thinking about this this week as I was going over my notes. I was thinking about David and the story of Goliath. We all know that story, don't we? And there is in the valley of Elah, the children of Israel on one side and the Philistines on the other side. And here comes David up the valley. When we go to Israel, we stand in that valley. And it's like the Philistines are over here. And, and the children of Israel are over here. And there is the valley that comes up from Bethlehem. And David's bringing up food for his brothers. Because he was just a shepherd boy. He was too young to be in the army. And he, he comes up and there's this giant Goliath, the champion from Gath. He's stomping up and down the valley. He's issuing a challenge. Who's going to come out and fight me? He's defiling the armies of the living God. And David comes, and the children of Israel are shaking in fear. No one dare fight him. No one dare go into the battle. And David, this young shepherd boy, he hears Goliath issuing this challenge. And David says, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? defiling the armies of the living God. And David said, don't we have a cause? He says, I'll take him on. I'll fight Goliath. So Calvary Chapel, don't we have a cause? Don't we have a cause? We see the world, how it's unraveling around us. We see the events that are taking place that are screaming at us that the coming of the Lord is near. We live in a world all around us. They don't know truth. That people are hurting and they're deceived and they're confused and they have a sense of hopelessness. Don't we have a cause in the day in which we're living in? And I pray that we would never have the mindset as a church and we as Christians, oh, well. You know, maybe I'll share. Maybe I'll pray. Maybe I'll get into the Word. You know, I'm busy, caught up in life, allowing the enemy to come into your territory, being deceived, just having lukewarmness, not watching, not being vigilant. Don't we have a cause? Don't we have a cause? We are here for such a time as this, and we are rushing towards eternity, and there are people that we know and care about that are lost, and they are headed for hell. How can we be indifferent? Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing, verse 12, in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. We are not a people without hope. And in the dark times, we can rejoice because we have the Lord, the promises of the Lord. And my hope, Lord, is in you so I can be patient and persevere in tribulations. Remember in chapter 5 that the apostle wrote that we can glory in tribulation. We can glory in tribulation and knowing this, that... that you know, tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character that is godly character and character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts.
And as we went over that, we talked about how we can glory in tribulation because God is working. He's developing godly character. He teaches us to be patient, to trust in him, to look to him. Paul's writing this. He was no lightweight. He went through many trials and tribulations. I mean, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was thrown in prison, riots broke out around him, he was arrested, he was cold, he was hungry, he was shipwrecked, he was sick. And after he puts his pen down from writing to the Christians in Rome, he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to go through some very difficult times. He's going to go through over two years of this legal nightmare in Israel as he is taken into custody in Jerusalem because he's accused wrongly of taking Gentiles to the temple. He goes to Caesarea, he's on trial before two governors. Governors. He's on trial before Agrippa in the amphitheater. And then he appeals to Caesar, so they put him on a boat. He's in a shipwreck. He's bitten by poisonous snakes. And then he ends up going to Rome, and where he has to be under house arrest for another two years before he goes before the emperor Nero. Talk about somebody who knew about being patient in tribulation. If anyone could write about that, it was him. And he says that, be patient in tribulations. I think that all of us know that we're going to have tribulations. Jesus said so. It's a big mistake. Listen, when you listen to that faith teacher that says, just have enough faith and you will never be sick again and you'll be healthy and you won't have problems and you know, you'll be wealthy and all these other things. Jesus said, you will have tribulation. He didn't leave us there. He said, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Jesus said, it rains on the just and as the unjust. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So difficulties and tribulations are going to come to all of us because we live in a fallen world. And the Greek word here for tribulation in, in chapter 12 is the same as what we saw in chapter 5. It speaks of pressure, crushing, squeezing. It speaks of olives being crushed to extract oil, the crushing by an olive press or rocks. Now, I'll speak for myself. God's still working in me in this area of, first of all, rejoicing in tribulations and then being patient in tribulation. Especially when I'm feeling crushed and squeezed, I feel the pressure of people, of circumstances, the problems that are all around me. I don't become patient at times. I'm not a patient person when feeling the pressure. I don't like to wait on the Lord sometimes. And I know that the Lord is teaching me to learn to wait on him. When David was out in the wilderness, his son Absalom had usurped the throne. You read in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. His son Absalom wanted David dead. And, and David was a heartbroken father. And he was grieving. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if he's going to go back to Jerusalem to be on the throne. He doesn't know what's going to happen to Absalom. And he's out there in that triology of Psalms. Psalms 61, 62, 63. He's out there and he writes those Psalms. And in Psalm 62 he says, My soul waits silent for God alone that you alone Lord are my hope just being quiet before the Lord sometimes it can be implied or we think that waiting on the Lord is a lack of faith 
But actually, God's word tells us that waiting on the Lord is showing great faith. It's trusting the Lord. It's waiting on him. It's, it's resting in his promises and love. And the enemy wants us and tempts us to go and, and do this, move out in our own fleshly ways, to, to move out in our own understanding, rather than what Proverbs tells us, that trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? He will direct your paths. And what can happen is we get impatient, and we begin to pull away from the Lord. We stop praying when we're told here that Paul says, be patient in tribulations, but continue steadfastly in prayer. Jesus would tell his disciples on that night that they're confused and troubled in their hearts and they're in the garden and Jesus said, oh, you know, pray unless you fall into temptation. He tells us that men ought to always pray and faint not. And we can faint and we pull away and we stop reading the word and we start coming up with plans and, and things that how can I solve this? How can I get out of this? And, and we're not going to the Lord. And it is a time in tribulations that we need to be drawing close to the Lord. In chapter 4 of Romans, remember Abraham? who did not waver at the promise of God, but was fully convinced that what he had promised, God had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham patiently endured and attained the promise. Isaiah chapter 30, when we need counsel, we are told to go to him, to go to him, and then as we go to him, we are to wait on him. And we are told that blessed are those who wait for him. And then you will hear from him. Go to the left, go to the right. A voice behind you. That is a promise from God's word. That in the tribulations that we're in and difficulties that we find ourselves in, that we know that we can go to him. That we can trust in him and wait on him. And waiting on him, it means be fervent in prayer, continue in prayer. Know that the Lord, that his promises are true and he's working in your life. So he says, do these things. Be fervent in prayer, you know. Be patient in tribulation. Rejoicing in hope is what we are to do because we have hope in Christ Jesus always. And then we'll end here at verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. In other words, take care of one another. Be given to hospitality. Just being there and a help and a blessing when someone in a body needs it. Hey, I know that this brother or sister is having a hard time. I'm going to be hospitable. Maybe invite them over to your house to have dinner. Maybe take them out for some coffee. Maybe just spend some time. Hey, let's get some lunch sometime. Hey, I'd love to just come and pray with you and encourage you. That's being hospitable. We are all told to do that. And I hope and pray for Calvary Chapel here that we are a church, that we are hospitable because there's a lot of people hurting. Embedded in that word hospitable is the word hospital. May this be a hospital for those who are not well spiritually. Remember that Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And there's a lot of sick people out there spiritually that are hurting, as I've mentioned, confused, that have no hope. 
that are in darkness and they know that something's missing. This is confusing. What the world is telling me is getting weirder and it's getting, you know, more deceptive. They're looking for a hospital. We should name the church Calvary Chapel Hospital so people can come. So may we treat those who are coming here who are hurting with hospi hospitality, really caring that they're here. We're, we're glad you're here. We want to minister to you. We want to pray for you. We want to help you. We want to give you Jesus. We have such opportunity to do that. And for you to do it in your life, do you realize that you may be the only Christian that some people ever meet or get to know? That's the day in which we're living in. You may be the only Christian that, you know, at the workplace or in your family or in your neighborhood. You may be the only one. So I pray and I hope that we would say, Lord, help me to be light. Help me to be kind. Speak the truth in love and to be hospitable. Maybe that neighbor to, to walk over and say, hey, just want to introduce myself, just want to say hello. That person at work, hey, how would you like to go out to coffee sometime? And just begin those relationships and begin to talk to others. Because as you've heard me say, and perhaps you've even heard on the radio that, that saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Care for others. Bless them. Be hospitable to others. Allow yourself to be invested in other people's lives because the God wants to use you in that way. So, Father, we thank you for We can talk so much about these verses, but, Lord, we understand what's being told to us. We understand that these are commandments to us, not suggestions. So, Lord, we know that we cannot do these things unless we are dependent upon you and looking to you. Father, I thank you so much that we can read your word and we can see what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and how to live our lives, how we are to behave, our conduct, and you have so much more to show us. I do want to pray if there's anyone here that you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've gone to church. <clears throat> Maybe you grew up in the church, but have you made a commitment to Christ? Maybe you're here and this is all new to you. We want to give you the gospel, the good news, and it's simply this. That Jesus Christ came to this world, the Son of God, and died for you. And he went to the cross to die for your sins that your sins were placed upon him. He became the propitiation. That is, as he became the sacrifice, the atonement, making atonement for your sins, that he has provided forgiveness. He cried out from the cross, it is finished. And now you come in faith. You can't save yourself. A church can't save you. A pastor can't save you. Only Jesus. He loves you. The world won't save you. Trying to be a good person. It's coming in faith, realizing you need to be forgiven. Because our sin has separated us from God. That's why Jesus came. He's the mediator. He made atonement. He's the propitiation. He took your sin upon himself and died in place of you and for you. Took the judgment that you deserve. 
And then he was put into a grave after he died. And he rose again and he conquered sin and death. He validated what he did on the cross. He proved that he's the Son of God. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. Today is the day of salvation. There's no other hope. There's no other sacrifice for sin. There's no other salvation. It is the name of Jesus. Will you come to him if that means anything to anyone? You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You're alive. You rose from the grave. You're speaking to my heart and I ask that you'd sit upon the throne of my heart and my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for this message. And I want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. And listen, we have a prayer team up front here in just a minute. Come up and tell them if you made that decision. But for all of us, may we be fervent in spirit, not lagging in diligence, not becoming lukewarm, that we would cling to that which is good and being hospitable, kindly affectionate to one another. Work that in us and in our church in the days in which we're living in. Thank you for this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?